Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for the address today is the Gospel reading, John 2, 13 to 22. Let's pray. Lord, we pray with the psalmist, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I wonder if you've ever been asked one of those icebreaker questions in a group. One of them is this, if you were an animal, what would you be? It can be quite fun and interesting to think about. In other words, are there certain characteristics of certain animals that sort of reflect your personality? I've even heard of these being asked at job interviews, which would be quite a challenge, I think. Well, what if we were to do that exercise in the most reverent way possible with our Lord Jesus? If you were to choose an animal as a depiction of the character and person of Jesus Christ, what would you choose? The reason I think it's okay to do this is that the Bible itself does this. And one of the most striking descriptions of Jesus in the book of Revelation is where he is called on the one hand the lion of the tribe of Judah and then just a couple of verses later the lamb who was slain. He is both the lion and he is the lamb. He has fierceness but he is compassionate, strength and yet he's gentle. He's a victor, but he's also the victim. And I would suggest to you that we in the modern Western Christian church are much more comfortable with Jesus the Lamb than Jesus the Lion. Enter our Gospel reading today, where we see, in fact, side by side, a picture of Jesus the Lion and Jesus the Lamb. This is what we'll unpack today. Let's look closely at our text then under three headings to do this. First, the cleansing of the old temple, then the transformation to the new temple, and finally God's people as his temple today. So first is the cleansing of the old temple. Our text begins at the time of Passover. And so we find Jesus going in pilgrimage up to Jerusalem with all of the other Jewish people for the festival. And at the festival they go to the temple to offer their sacrifices to God to receive his blessing. Now to make these sacrifices you need animals. Sheep and cattle if you can afford it, doves for the poorer folk you may also need to change currency if you've travelled from a long way. You may also need to change your money to have the right sort of coin for the temple tax. That's what all these bods were doing there. In some sense, they were actually enabling the worship of God. So what they were doing was not necessarily in itself completely wrong. 
But Jesus' big problem is to do with how they're doing it, where they're doing it, and the priority it had taken in this place. And make no mistake, this is a big problem for Jesus. This reaction is surely one of the most dramatic and forceful in all the Gospels. Take these things out of here, he says to the dove sellers. He goes to the coins and pours them out. He turns their tables over, drives the animals out of the temple courts and to do all this he makes a whip. He doesn't just find a whip lying around that he says, well, this could be helpful. He makes a whip. Just the fact that he knew how to do this is telling. But it also shows this is a deliberate, settled, even premeditated action of our Lord. It's supposed to get our attention. It certainly got their attention. So why though? Why so dramatic? Why does he do all this? Well, Jesus tells us, he puts it quite simply really. He says that this is his father's house and they've turned it into a marketplace. As one commentator puts it, Jesus found that the altar of mammon, the altar of God, of money and wealth, had been erected in the court of the temple of God. This temple, this was the place of God's holy presence with his people. You have the whole rest of the city where you can do your business, but the temple, this is for God. This is for worship. This is for sacrifice. This is for prayer. This is for blessing. And what Jesus sees is opportunistic business and commerce for personal profit taking the place of priority over all this. He sees the desecration of his father's holy house. And when that happens, there is a fiery zeal that takes hold of Jesus. The lion of the tribe of Judah needs to show his claws. So how do we think about all this in our context though? Because sometimes we do hear this and we wonder what it means for our life together in the church. What does this mean for us? Shouldn't we have trading tables in church halls and things like this? Well, I don't think those sorts of things are actually a direct parallel. I don't think that's the main point here. And to illustrate that a bit more, I'll give you what I think is maybe a closer parallel. Imagine if here at Bethlehem, we came up with an idea to make it easier for you to bring your offerings. We're going to get an ATM. Okay, now, the idea begins with a discreet little ATM somewhere off in the corner of the church grounds. But you know how projects evolve. Pretty soon we realise not just one, but we need multiple ATMs. And we find out they don't make discreet ones, they're all big and shiny and loud. And then we work out that actually the only place to put it is in the church and we have to take out a pew to do it. And then people don't seem to be able to do it beforehand so they have to do it in the service and they can't do it all at once and so really they have to start doing it 
all the way through the service, during the prayers, during the sermon. Just go and do it when you can. And then finally, the service is getting too long after all this, so, well, we better start cutting a few other things out. A few prayers, a few Bible readings, a few hymns, to make sure we can get to the important business of the ATM. Now, that may seem a little bit far-fetched, thank God, but that's a closer parallel, I think. And that gives you a bit more of an idea of the sort of situation Jesus faced and why he reacted the way he did. So how does that apply to us then? I think it's a word of caution that we as a Christian congregation are always on guard in some sense to make sure that the worship of money and wealth doesn't slowly creep in to our life together. And more broadly, Jesus' action here is making it clear that it is a truly awesome thing to be in the presence of our holy God and never to take that lightly. As the writer to the Hebrews says, to the early Christian church, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be destroyed, let us be thankful and offer worship acceptable to God in holy reverence and in awe. So there's the cleansing of the old temple. Then second, there's the transformation to the new temple. So after all this commotion, the Jews have quite a reasonable question, I would suggest. What sign do you give us for doing all this? In other words, who do you think you are? Where are your credentials? If you're going to come in here trashing the place, you better show us something. Now Jesus responds in what's a bit of a riddle, really. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now the temple in Jerusalem was by all accounts a magnificent structure. You may remember on another occasion the disciples looking at it and saying, Lord, look at these stones. It was quite something to behold. Forty-six years it's taken, they say, to build this temple. Just imagine this. Our new hospital blows out by a couple of years and we can't handle that. Forty-six years. A man could have spent his whole working life on one building back then. And you, Jesus, You say you can raise it up in three days. Now not only have you made a mess of our nice little religious market here, but now you just sound stark, raving mad. You can hear them saying. And interestingly, that's where the conversation ends with the people that day. We get some extra comments from John, but that's where the conversation ends. He gives them this riddle, but he doesn't seem to help them through it at this point. Perhaps because Jesus knows that in their unbelief, there is no sign he could give them, there is nothing he could say that would make any difference. But for us, for us who know the end of the story, St John comes in and tells us exactly what was going on that he was speaking 
of the temple of his body. And that after the resurrection, that's when the penny dropped. He was speaking of the temple of his body. In that little sentence, you'll find the whole gospel hidden away. Jesus is the new temple. Which means first that he's the way to God. That no longer do God's people need to travel to one particular place to find God's gracious presence because God has made himself present in the body of Jesus Christ. Present in grace in Jesus and so with all those who believe in Jesus wherever they gather in his name. Jesus will later tell the Samaritan woman, The hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That is by the power of the Holy Spirit in and through the truth, Jesus. Jesus is the new temple which also means he fulfills in himself everything that happened in the temple, especially the sacrifices. Jesus had a zeal for his Father's house, a zeal for God's holiness, a zeal that people could meet with his Father and receive his blessing. But where would that zeal ultimately lead him? It led him to the cross for you and for me. The one who here is so full of zeal, he makes a scourge of cords, will himself be scourged as he suffers for you. The one who here cleanses the temple will himself bring a greater act of cleansing for the world in his death on the cross. The one who here drives out the sacrificial animals will himself give his life as a once for all sacrifice for you. His zeal leads him not to continue this rampage in the temple until he had destroyed it, but it leads him to be destroyed and to be raised up after three days. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, but he's also the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he does all this for the very people in the temple that day, worshipping the God of Mammon. He does it for you. He's the Lion and he's the Lamb. So we saw the cleansing of the old temple by Jesus then the transformation to the new temple in Jesus. Finally, God's people as his temple today. As you trace this theme of a temple through the Bible, it's fascinating how it works. It seems to go from this physical building, the temple in the Old Testament, through to Jesus' body as the new temple for his people, But then because the church is Christ's body, because you, dear baptised believers, are united to Christ, then St. Peter and St. Paul, they speak of God's people as the temple. 
that together we are all like living stones being built up into a temple to God. St. Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? But just like in the temple of old, we as God's people are still tempted and fall as we set up little idols to mammon and other gods in the temples of our hearts. And so, just as Jesus came to cleanse and purify his temple of old, he will continue to come and do the same today, among us, even in us. And here's the thing, that's not always comfortable just as it wasn't comfortable, I imagine, in the temple that day. He purifies you in a deep way in your baptism, sprinkling the blood of Christ on your heart to cleanse you of sin. But then there is also an ongoing work of God in our lives as Jesus speaks his word to us, his word of forgiveness, as well as his word which instructs and challenges. He's the Lamb of God who takes away your sin, but he's still the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He still has a zeal for his Father's holiness and glory in all things. He still has a zeal to purify us from all unrighteousness a zeal to dethrone the idols in our hearts even today. Because as we're reminded in the Ten Commandments, he's made himself our God and he's a jealous God. He doesn't want to compete with anyone or anything for the affections of our hearts and so he has to drive these things away. It's a bit like spring cleaning, in my mind, when you know these things need to be thrown out, but it can be hard to part with that old junk you have lying around. I think this is one reason why growth in our Christian life is not always comfortable, why it sometimes feels like tables are being turned over and things are being scattered I can't put this any better than C.S. Lewis did in some famous words, which I leave you with to finish this point today. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But then he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts terribly. It doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you imagined. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought... You were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. 
because he intends to come and live in it himself. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah and he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We saw this in the cleansing of the old temple, the transformation to the new temple and in God's people as his temple today. May God grant it to us for Jesus' sake. Amen.